Well, good morning, and if you uh, have your Bibles and follow along with me, we can start in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to do a quick overview of verses 1, to, uh, 1 through 12. Uh, if you remember, if God begins a good work in you, he will carry it through to completion. And uh, so what does that mean for us, that he is going to carry us through to completion? Well, ultimately, uh, Jesus is victorious over sin, Satan, death in the world. And uh, all of us are waiting for that day of redemption uh, when God will completely restore uh, the world and uh, we will live with him uh, on the earth throughout uh, all eternity. Uh, but until that time, uh, what is uh, the, uh, the uh, farthest that we can go, perhaps, is the word I'm looking for, uh, in, our, in our faith? What is God working in us to carry us to the point uh, not that we have arrived to perfection, uh, but that our faith has been uh, perfected. That's what we want to. That's what we want to ask. Uh, when is our faith uh, perfected? When have we cast our whole selves upon Christ? Well, I think the beatitude helps us. If you remember, they kind of follow right along with uh, one. One leads into the other until we get to the last one that we'll be t talking about today. Uh, we also know that the first. Four are inward realities, what God will do in our heart. And then the second four are outward realities uh, based on the work that God has done, then has done in us. How then are we to respond in accordance with his purpose and his plan? All right. So when we looked, as we looked at the uh, Beatitudes, we began with the first one, which is to be poor in spirit. Uh, we recognize that that was being bankrupt in spirit. That means that uh, we have no resources of our own, perhaps thinking about a beggar on the street with no resources. They can't buy food, shelter or clothing. And so they're going around looking for somebody that has those resources and beg them for the resources to provide for their needs. Well, we are beggars in spirit. Uh, there's nothing in us that uh, merits or inherits eternal life. And we have to go to God as a beggar, plead for his resources that he provided in Christ. And when, when, we, when we receive those resources, we ha have in Christ all that is necessary for salvation. Well, if we're poor in spirit and recognize our bankruptcy, the next thing we're going to realize is that our bankruptcy is the sin. And so we're going to mourn over sin. We're going to take sin seriously. And when we take sin seriously, we recognize that we're not righteous. Uh, we begin to look to God for that righteousness. And so we become meek. Meek means humble. It means having a broken spirit. Uh, it means that we are ready to receive from God and be taught by God uh, what is necessary for a life of godliness. And so as we are meek and humble, ready to receive, we begin to hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. Uh, we, uh, we come to his word, ready to learn, ready to receive, uh, ready to look for. Uh, we, we have a teachable spirit. And uh, God then promises to uh, fulfill. And then our first outward uh, work there is to be merciful. Uh, we are to show mercy to others. If God was so merciful to us, then for us to hold it to ourselves would be prideful. Uh, the mercy that God showed us, we now want to pass on to others. And so we're merciful towards others. And then we, uh, because we are hungering thirst for this righteousness, we want to be righteous inside and outside. And so 
Uh, we want to maintain a, a pure heart. We want to maintain a pure conscience uh, between God and man, as Paul uh, so uh, accurately illustrates for us. Then we uh, looked last time that I was, was with you, we looked at peacemakers. Uh, peacemakers uh, are strictly, I believe, those who are going to make peace with God first and then peace with, uh, with others. Uh, again, we use the illustration of going to the doctors and they recognize in your uh, body that there is a war going on. There is an excessive amount of white blood cells uh, that is, can uh, that is, that is uh, attacking cancer or, or uh, some form of uh, disease, some form of disease. And uh, these white bl blood cells are attacking this foreign substance. And so until that foreign substance is removed, your body is not going to be at peace with itself. And so the recommendation is that you get surgery so that you can cut this cancer out so that we can uh, have peace in your body once again. Well, that peace is, or excuse me, that cancer is sin in our lives. We know that the Bible says that God is our great physician. We know that he says that the word of God is, uh, is uh, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we have the, the uh, illustrations in the Bible of this physician, this, this surgical uh, uh, blade that we need to perform this surgery. Uh, the Bible speaks of the sin that's in our lives. It needs to be removed so that we can be at peace with God and peace with one another. And so we become peacemakers. And through becoming peacemakers, we also have this uh, persecution that we are going to talk about today. Again, it's, it follows right behind peacemaking. If you go out into the world and tell people that they are sinners and that they need to remove the sin out of their lives and they don't want to hear it, well, you're going to get uh, some persecution. You're going to get some affliction uh, in, in, in return. To show this connection... Uh, between being a peacemaker and this uh, persecution, this affliction. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, 24 to 29. I have things written in my notes here, so I'm not going to take time to turn and flip back and forth. But if you want to turn there and follow along with me, uh, I, will, I will show you as you're looking on your Bible. Uh, it begins by saying that uh, Paul rejoiced in his suffering. And he rejoices in his suffering as he is filling up in his, bodies, in his body the affliction that is lacking in Christ, the afflictions that are lacking in Christ. Now that verse has always troubled me a bit because it says that Christ's uh, afflictions were lacking. And it almost sounds blasphemous uh, to say that there was something in the cross of Christ that was lacking. So you have to ask the question, what exactly uh, does that mean? Well, if you think of it vertically and horizontally, I think you will understand this particular verse. When it comes to the atonement, when it becomes to Jesus Christ being our substitute, uh, taking on the wrath of God upon his body uh, to pay completely uh, the uh, consequence of sin, that has been fully fulfilled. There is nothing lacking and there's nothing that we can do uh, to complete that particular work of Christ. Now, horizontally, Horizontally, I think that God wants the body of Christ to be the body of Christ to the world. And so when we go to foreign lands or we go out into our community and share the gospel, I believe that we're going to experience some affliction. I believe that we're going to experience some persecution. I uh, maybe go uh, as far as martyrdom. 
And uh, we see that in other parts of the world, and perhaps one day we'll begin to experience that here uh, in, a, in America. But, uh, but we need to model Christ for the world. And if that requires that we go there with the gospel to be persecuted and to be uh, martyred, then we willingly do that, uh, celebrating and rejoicing in the fact that we get to partake in the sufferings of Christ. Okay, so how is this, how is this suffering that Paul is experiencing? Uh, how, how does this occur, uh, occur? Well, it goes on to say that he is making known the mystery that has been uh, revealed in the, uh, in the uh, gospel uh, here in the uh, New Covenant. Uh, Paul is experiencing these afflictions by preaching to every man, warning every man that he may present every man perfect in in christ and we'll take a look uh, at that further in a moment considering paul's life and so he knew all right he knew paul knew that in eternity past that god promised to redeem humanity you see that in titus 1 and you see it over in second uh, timothy chapter 1 that god promised jesus that he was going to redeem humanity for the purpose of worshiping christ he knew that in eternity past, God made this plan, and the way that it was going to function was that to end all suffering, Jesus Christ was going to come to suffer. But it wasn't going to be an immediate end to suffering. God was going to require that we too would suffer, uh, as Romans 8 says, that we will groan, uh, waiting for the redemption of God's children, the, the creation groans. Uh, and, and so he knew that he had to leave a holy atmosphere where there was no sin, to come to earth, to be in an atmosphere where there was nothing but sin. Jesus knew that he couldn't die. And so if he was going to die, he had to take on human flesh. So he takes on human flesh. Uh, not only did he know that he had to take on human flesh so that he could die, he knew that in the end, uh, he was going to become sin for us. And then he was going to go to the cross as our substitute. Uh, and the wrath of God was going to be poured out on Christ for our, uh, for our sins. Uh, he knew there for a time, as he says, that, uh, that uh, uh, as he said on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, he knew he was going to have to suffer these things. He, he knew that uh, the, the created angel Lucifer uh, who rebelled against God uh, and, and tried to uh, uh, usurp God's authority, would be pursuing him and trying to kill him and trying to, uh, trying to not allow him to become the victor, victorious Savior uh, that we now serve. Uh, he knew that as the Creator, he would come into his creation. And he knew that his creation would not receive him. And in fact, those that he had created uh, would, kill, would kill him. Uh, he knew that uh, he knew that uh, the world would love darkness rather than the light, uh, and uh, they would not come to the Lord. So he knew. He knew also that uh, that you would have to suffer as well. He knew uh, that uh, pain and suffering uh, would be for a time until that day of, of redemption. He knew that the same unbelievers that hated him would also hate you. He knew that the world and its system was against you. He knew that every person he saved uh, would experience persecution and suffering. He knew that the same Satan 
that pursued him would also pursue us in opposition to the gospel of Christ. He knew that the more you became like him, the more the world would hate you. He knew that if you preach the gospel, that the world would also per, uh, persecute you. He knew that the student wouldn't be greater than the teacher. He knew that if you became a peacemaker, then you too would be persecuted. He knew that you would need a high priest who would sympathize with you in his suffering. He knew, and so he gives you a double blessing. Let's look at verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you that, uh, that you were willing to go to the cross for us. That you were uh, willing to suffer and die in our place. Father, so that we could be redeemed. So that one day we can live without pain and without suffering. But help us, Lord, to realize that until that day, you've given us a responsibility to take the word of God to the world. To the othermost parts of the world, Father, to proclaim your truth. Even if it means our death. If it means we are reviled and persecuted for your namesake, Father. We need to go. And so, Father, I pray that you would take these words this morning and use it to transform our lives into your likeness. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. So first and foremost, uh, we want to look at the double blessing of the persecuted. As we said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, it says that if you live a godly life, you will be persecuted. If you seek to live the life that God has called you to live, then you will be persecuted. If uh, you choose to live a celibate life, then you will bring a rebuke upon those who do not live a celibate life. If you choose to live a life of honest, honesty, you will bring a rebuke against those who live dishonestly. Uh, I remember when I was first saved, I was in the military. I was stationed at Fort Lee, Virginia, and I was uh, going out with my fellow soldiers and partying and having a good time and uh, doing all kinds of things that uh, would not be appropriate in God's sight. And then I came down on orders to go to South Korea. I went over to South Korea and God saw fit to, to save me uh, while I was over there. And then one of my friends came down on order to, orders to come to South Korea. And he came and decided to look me up. And, uh, and, he, and he asked me to, uh, to go out with him. And I said, yeah, you know, I'll go out. I said, but I just want you to know I got saved and, uh, and I don't drink anymore. I just chose that it's not for, for me and all. And he's like, well, that's okay. Let's just go out. And so we went out. And the whole night that we were together, he was trying to get me to drink. He was buying me beers and sitting them in front of me, and I wouldn't drink them. We'd throw them away, go to the next place. He'd buy me another one. I said, look, man, said, you're wasting your money. I just don't, I just don't drink. I just don't do those things uh, any, anymore. And, uh, and it wasn't long uh, before uh, we realized that, uh, that we're not going to do the same things anymore if we, uh, if we went out uh, together. And so when, you, uh, when you're saved and when you begin to live a godly life, you may lose a lot of friends uh, that you once hung, hung around with. And they may turn against you and, and, and not like you uh, because of the changes that you have made. 
In Acts chapter 14 and verse 22, it says, Through many tribulations, you must enter into the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, you must enter into the kingdom of God. And so I just want you to see that God is not hiding this from us. Uh, he's, not, he's not telling us that once we're saved, that everything's going to go well, everything's going to go right, and we have nothing to worry about. We're just sitting around uh, waiting for the, the end of the world to come and for us to, to go to be with the Lord. But he's saying, listen, we have, a, we have a work to do. We have a ministry to perform. And if you choose to perform it, you are going to deal with a lot of persecution and a lot of different uh, things that will cause discomfort. Now, if you turn to Matthew chapter 10, uh, remember I said that uh, the Beatitudes are kind of the outline. And then if you look, read the Sermon on the Mount in the Bible, uh, it will exposit these truths to us. And so if you remember when we looked uh, at the introduction to the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, uh, I said that, uh, uh, that God's word is authoritative. And then in, in verses, uh, chapters 8 and 9, we see that God's works are authoritative. And then we see in Matthew 10 that God uh, uh, gives us his authority. Okay, so in, ver in chapter 10, God is giving the authority to the 12 disciples to go out into the world and preach the gospel. So starting in verse 16, uh, I will read it to you down through verse 25. It says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men. Now, who are these men that you're being aware of? It's these wolves that he's talking about in verse 16. These men are wolves. Uh, For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogue, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake uh, to hear witnesses before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. Brothers will deliver brother over to death. The father his child, children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all by, uh, uh, for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you on, in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not uh, have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The disciple is not above his teacher, nor servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign uh, those of his household? So again, God knew. Jesus Christ knew. He knew what he was preparing the, the disciples for. He was preparing the disciples to take the gospel out into the world. So he knew that the disciples were being prepared for the ministry of reconciliation. He knew that he would send them out as sheep amongst the wolves. If you think of sheep amongst the wolves, a wolf has canine teeth uh, to be able to rip uh, flesh up. Uh, they have real sharp claws that are, are, are to help in the, in the fight, in the battle. And if you think about a sheep, a sheep has teeth much like ours. They're pretty straight. Uh, they're pretty dull. Uh, they have hoofs. They don't have uh, claws, so they can't fight. So the imagery there is uh, that if a fight incurred, we would be helpless uh, because they are wolves and we are not. He knew that we would be delivered over to courts to be flogged. He knew that they would be dragged before kings for the sake of the Lord. Uh, he knew that they would be delivered. He knew that your brother would deliver you over to death. He knew that your parents would deliver you over. He knew that your children would deliver you over. 
He knew that you would be hated by all. He knew that you would be persecuted in every town. He knew that you would be accused and called Satan. He knew if they could not get to you, then they would attack uh, your household. Uh, I was a pastor of a uh, church. Uh, I've shared the testimony many times, two different churches that I was a senior pastor of. And they were pretty difficult churches. They have a lot of problems that, uh, that they didn't deal with in the past. In uh, uh, this one particular church, um, I was uh, leading them uh, to, uh, to perhaps turn their church over to a new congre another congregation because that congregation had grown uh, to about 200 people and we have dwindled down uh, to about 12 to 15 people over the age of 70. And so the, uh, the church was just about uh, coming to its end anyway. I didn't see any reason for this small church to leave. Uh, or to stay there and require this 200-member church to go. And so I began to lead these 12 to 15 people uh, to consider being like Christ and just uh, considering that congregation better than ourselves and just give the church uh, over to them. And one of my beloved deacons uh, went and told some people that uh, were, were, were members previously but hadn't been there in over five years uh, he recognized that it was a mistake afterwards, so he didn't do it intentionally for any evil means. Uh, but he told these people in the next business meeting that we had, we had almost 60 people at the business meeting. And, and they came back to save the church. And, uh, and I told them that if, uh, if, they, if those 50 people were there in the past five years, maybe there wouldn't be any reason to have a business meeting now and try to save the church. Uh, but anyway, several things happened during that time. Uh, one was they tried to take me to court and sue me uh, for trying to take their uh, church from them. And uh, they also uh, accused me of wanting to embezzle the money. Now, granted, the 15 that were with me for five years wanted to consider this. But these, this group from the outside coming in were the ones that were being my antagonists more than the people that had been there with me for five years. And that's what which made it so difficult. Um, and, and they accused me of wanting to steal the church and embezzle the money. Uh, I had one individual come to me and say, uh, hey, how much, how much are we paying you now? And I told him how much we were paying per week. And uh, he said, well, you know, if we get rid of this church and, uh, you know, we might be able to pay you a little bit more. And so obviously he was trying to use money to, to per, uh, persuade me to uh, do, things, do things his way. And... Uh, and then uh, they, they weren't really making any waves, waves towards me. And, uh, and so then they turned on my wife and accused my wife of, uh, of embezzling some money or taking some money. Um, so, so this has played out in, in, in my life for, for, uh, for real here. And, uh, and if you're going to live and if you're going to try to do what is right, if you're going to preach the gospel, you are going to experience some, uh, some persecution. And so God, knowing this, being a sympathized, uh, a high priest who sympathizes with us uh, in the Beatitudes, he knew that we, were ha we would have to do this, that he was requiring this of you. And so he gives us a double blessing uh, here in this, particular, in this particular thing, in this particular uh, uh, point. Secondly, there is a double warning about persecution, a double warning about persecution. Notice with me that it says, for righteousness sake, and it says on Jesus' account. In other words, we don't want to be persecuted because of our own stupidity. Uh, we don't want to be persecuted because we have a raunchy attitude. Uh, we don't want to be a self-righteous Pharisee. 
uh, in placing demands upon uh, people that uh, would cause them uh, to, to persecute us. Uh, to get another church uh, situation that I'm aware of, um, the uh, uh, search committee got a new, new pastor in town. Uh, he came to town. He uh, established the church. To my understanding, he was somewhat of a, a fundamentalist uh, church. Uh, he wasn't a, uh, uh, he was, he was, didn't believe in congregation, or excuse me, didn't believe in denominations, um, believing that all the authority was within the church, and most importantly, he thought that the authority was with the pastor. Uh, well, one, uh, one time, uh, the uh, congregation didn't like how loud the music was playing. Didn't mind the music, just didn't like the volume. Just asked the uh, music minister to, uh, to turn the music down a bit. And uh, the pastor turned around and wanted to execute the membership, the people that were complaining because they weren't submitting to the authority of the, uh, of the elders and it just caused a crazy, crazy church split. Okay, now splitting over the volume of the music, uh, of course, is, is not something that, uh, that anybody would want to do and you shouldn't claim to be a martyr uh, because, of, uh, because of something like that. And so it's strictly the righteousness of Christ and it's strictly for, for Christ's name, for Christ's namesake. Uh, I, I read a book once called A Hill on Which to Die, and it really challenged me in the area of really being discerning about what you want to die for. Is it worth giving your life to? Uh, you think about a good, healthy church. Uh, you think about uh, the, the uh, uh, prayer that God taught us that, you know, that, uh, we ought to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, and, and so there's one will in heaven and how many wills are there in the church? And we have to combine all these wills uh, under the will of God. And there's going to be different people with different ideas and different opinions. And so when you think about, uh, I want my opinion or I want my thoughts to be uh, to be adhered to, is that worth something to split the church over? Is that a hill on which to die? Well, I personally feel that, that uh, the things that I'm willing to die for is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm willing to die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not willing to die for the Republicans. I'm not real willing to die for the Democrats. I'm not willing to die for whether we sing out the hymnals or something else. I'm not willing to die for a lot of things, but I am willing to die for the name of Christ and for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that should be our desire. That should be what we think in our mind is that everything else falls by the wayside uh, when it comes to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and standing up for our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so not only is there a uh, double reward, not only is there a double warning, but there's also a double portion of persecution, a double portion of of persecution. It says that we will be persecuted. It says that we will be reviled. It says that uh, many things will be uttered against us out of evil, and there will be a lot of false accusations uh, that will come our way. Uh, when it says that we are to be above rebuke, uh, I believe, uh, if you heard the old saying, uh, I'm rubber and you're glue, whatever, whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. Uh, is, a, is a good principle in that uh, whatever these false accusations are, whatever is e uttered against us falsely, it should not stick. It should not be 
uh, be true. Okay, we're going to go through a lot of, uh, of a lot of things, a lot of persecution. Um, again, going back to that church that I told you about earlier, uh, they said that I was going to steal the church, take the money, and, and run. That was absolutely was not true. It did not happen, and uh, and uh, it did not stick. And so, as elders, as teachers, as Christians, as we live above reproach, uh, then these false accusations, these these uh, evil things that are said towards us uh, should, not, uh, should not stick to us. It should not be uh, true. All right, let's take a look. Uh, this is for the sake of my beloved senior saints. Uh, we have been away from the uh, life of Paul. And I'm going to use the life of Paul to show that in his desire to preach the gospel, uh, there was a lot of persecution, a lot of reviling, a lot of evil things said against him. Uh, the first thing that I want to remind us is the thorn in the flesh. Uh, Paul was called up to the third heaven, was given a thorn in the flesh. Uh, we know that a lot of people have a different uh, opinion about what the thorn of the flesh is. Uh, I believe what it is, and I can prove it with scriptures, because it says he was given the thorn of flesh. It was a messenger of Satan. Okay, so the thorn of flesh is a messenger of Satan. Um, we looked at what a messenger of Satan was, and if you follow it in the Old Testament and New Testament... We know that unbelievers can be, uh, can be, um, can have Satan in their, indwelt in their bodies and Satan can use their bodies. Uh, false teachers is an example of this. Uh, we know Paul was a believer, so he could not be, uh, he could not have Satan dwell within, but he could be attacked from the outside. Uh, he could be oppressed and so uh, I think that's what it, what it was, basically, that everywhere Paul went to preach the gospel, there was a, a thorn in his flesh trying to stop the gospel from going forth. Um, we could say that, uh, uh, that his shipwreck could be a thorn in the flesh. We know that some say that he was blinded, other, others say other things. Uh, I think that is the fruit of the thorn in the flesh, but that particular instance is not his thorn in the flesh. As far as we can go with scriptures is that the thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan. Of Satan. So in his first missionary journey, he, he, he leaves uh, Antioch uh, there, in, uh, uh, there in Antioch on, on the uh, east, east side of uh, the Mediterranean Sea. He goes down to the island of Cyprus. Uh, Barnabas is in charge at first because Barnabas was fun, from Cyprus. And so he would know the synagogues. He would know the uh, people there in town. He would be able to acquire an uh, audience to be able to preach to. And so he's preaching through Cyprus. And we get down to verse 6. It says, when he had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus a man of intelligence who summons Barnum and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for this is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from, uh, from his faith. Okay, so this, this magician, uh, this false prophet, uh, was trying to stop the gospel from going to Sergius Polos. And uh, through this event, uh, obviously, um, Sergius got, got saved, all right? And so I think that the thorn on the flesh, the purpose of that is to show that it is not by Paul's 
speech. It's not by his articulation. It's not by his education that if he was going to spread the gospel, he would have to depend on God because there would be a lot of opposition when you share the gospel. A lot of opposition. God knew that and uh, Paul is experiencing that. And if we uh, take the gospel and go out into the world, I believe that we will experience that as well. Well, we continue on. He, uh, he goes to Antioch of Pisidia. Uh, Antioch of Assyria is over on the right side of the Mediterranean Sea. Antioch of Pisidia is up on the west side, up north in Asia Minor. Uh, he's there and he is preaching uh, through, the, uh, through the gospel of the, in the Old Testament, <clears throat> talking to the Jews at the synagogue. In Acts 13, verse 45, it says, But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. There's the word, reviling him. Okay, so we will be reviled. And here he's taking the gospel, and they're reviling him. What I also like to make here, a, a point here, is that if Paul wanted to stop his persecution, all he had to do was stop going to the synagogue. Because every time he went to the synagogue, the Jews rose up against him. Uh, but recognize that Paul, even after he was stoned to death, even after he was reviled, even after he experienced all this persecution, he still went to synagogue, to synagogue, to synagogue. Uh, not only that, we know that Paul's word says that uh, death awaited him in every city. But yet he still went to city, to city, to city, to city. And I think that's where uh, God wants us as well. Look at verse 50. It says, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. He stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their uh, district. And so the Jews rose up against them. Then he goes on to uh, Iconium, Paul and Barnabas moving to Iconium. Uh, it says now in Iconium, this is in chapter 14, it says in Iconium, they entered together uh, into the Jewish synagogue, there he goes again to the Jewish synagogue, spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, poisoning their minds against the brothers, and uh, calls again opposition to, uh, to Paul and Barnabas in the preaching of the gospel. Then we get down to Lystra. He's down into Lystra now in uh, uh, Acts chapter 14 and verse 19. It says, but the Jews came from Antioch in Iconium, having persuaded the crowds. They, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. And so they stoned him, beating to pretty much unconscious, near death, thought he was dead, threw him outside of the city. God revived them, and they, and they uh, continued on their, uh, their journey. And then we get in his second missionary journey in verses, uh, uh, chapter 16. Uh, he comes upon this slave girl with divination, uh, a divination spirit, uh, a fortune teller. And, uh, and let's read it, starting in verse uh, 16. It says, as, he, uh, it says as, as we were going to the place of prayer, uh, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain in fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High who proclaimed you the way of salvation. Verse 22, it says, The crowd joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them 
uh, safe. And so through this slave girl, this de the, the divination spirit, this fortune-telling person, um, Paul took away his ability to tell fortunes, and through that he was placed in prison. Now, one of the things to remember here is, is that we are, we are in Philippi, uh, we're in Macedonia, uh, it is a, uh, it, it's part of Rome, Paul is a Roman citizen, and so at any time he could have played that Roman citizen card, and he wouldn't have been persecuted, he wouldn't have been in, in prison. But Paul, walking with God, allowed him, as on a chessboard, to be used as a pawn, to be moved into certain areas to get a checkmate on a lost person so that he can be saved. And uh, Paul did this in the, uh, in the Philippian prison because a jailer was converted after, a, uh, at a, after an earthquake. Okay? And then he ends up going down to uh, Thessalonica in verse 17. And uh, they're looking for Paul and they can't find him. They come across a person named Jason, who I think is a relative of Paul uh, because he's mentioned over in Romans. So we stand with Jason. They couldn't find Paul. And so they arrest Jason and take him uh, down to answer to the magistrates, which means that since they couldn't get to Paul, they went to Jason. And so if you hang around a gospel preacher, you could be uh, you could be persecuted. Okay, then it goes down to Berea and, uh, and, and so forth. Now, my experience in, in India um, <clears throat> is a little bit different, I think, than here in, uh, than here in America because there's more uh, persecution going on there. Um, but when I went over there to train pastors or to teach pastors, uh, I would have a lot of different testimonies and people coming from all over the place. And there's two of them that I want to share with you this morning. Uh, the first one is, uh, I had finished preaching, and there was a, a gentleman in his, uh, uh, in his dress uh, that they wear over there, and he was just sitting there with his Bible, and he seemed to be praying, uh, he seemed to be weeping, and, uh, and I asked the uh, guy that I was there with, I said, what exactly is going with him? I said, there's something about my preaching that touched him, is there any uh, questions that he has that maybe I can answer? And he said, uh, he said, no, he said, uh, he said, he's a radical Muslim and he got saved and he wanted to come to this teaching. And so we invited him and he says that he thinks that God has called him back to his village, uh, to share the gospel with his particular village. Now, because he was a radical Muslim and he was pretty much the leader of this village, if he goes back there, he was going to lose his life. And so I went over to uh, talk to him and uh, he explained the situation and asked for him to pray because he really felt like the Lord was calling him back to his village to share the gospel. And he knew that if he went back, there was a good possibility that he would uh, lose his life. Again, God says, or, or, or Jesus knows uh, what we have to go through uh, as gospel preachers. And he gave us a double blessing uh, in the Beatitudes because he is a sympathetic high priest. A, uh, um, well, let's, let's, uh, let's stop there. I want to continue to move here. Um, not only is there a double portion of persecution, but there is a double response to persecution. Uh, maybe three responses because I forgot to put one down here. So in your notes, I have be glad and rejoice. And I have be mindful of those before you. Uh, but I also want to add in there, uh, your reward is great in heaven. 
All right, a double response to your persecution. Uh, the first is to be glad and rejoice. We know in James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, uh, it says to consider it all joy when you're going through various trials. And the way that we have to understand this is that God is perfecting our faith. God is perfecting our faith. A uh, good illustration of this, I guess, is, uh, is if you go to the gym and uh, you want to be a professional bodybuilder, uh, you have to have, you know, all of your muscles on your body has to be as big and, and, and refined as they possibly can be. And so if you wanted a personal trainer, and I was your personal trainer, and the only thing that you can lift was the bar at first, uh, I would probably get you to do uh, three uh, reps, uh, lifting uh, eight times each time you did it. Uh, and then after you were able to do that pretty easily, then I would throw some more weight on. And then I would get you to lift that. And then after you got good at that, I'd throw some more. And we'd do that for every muscle in your body uh, until it got big and, ref and refined. If I didn't throw any more weight on it, your muscles would get toned, but they would not grow so that you can be a strong, a strong bodybuilder. So I believe... <coughs> I believe that the purpose of trials here and the reason why that God gives us trials is because he's trying to refine and trying to strengthen our faith. Okay, so the reason why we consider it all joy when we're going through trials, afflictions, reviling, persecutions is because God is refining our faith. He began a good work on you. He's going to carry it through to completion. What is that completion? That completion is refined faith. That's what we're looking for. We want that refined faith. And so if we know that God has a purpose and plan, right, for all things are working together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, he is working these things out for our good. He wants to refine our faith. Then we can consider it all joy no matter what we are, what we are going through. Now, I'm talking specifically about peacemaking, but obviously, as I talk about this, uh, we can also apply some things to our current uh, situation with the coronavirus and, and things as well. If we have a refined faith, we'll see in just a minute uh, that, uh, that we have faith in God and we're going to serve him uh, no matter what. All right, in Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going I'm to go through this uh, uh, quickly, but uh, what I'm going to show you, number one, is uh, we know that this is the... Those who are faithful and those who have uh, been uh, uh, have been persecuted, have been seen faithful. And there are several things that I want you to notice. This will take care of the second and third point. Uh, first of all, it says uh, in verse 34, for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourself had a better possession and an abiding one. This person who was joyfully accepting the plundering of our property, if you understand back then that if you were in jail, you were tied to a jailer. So if you went to visit, say somebody went to visit Paul, who was tied to a Roman uh, guard, then you would automatically uh, be uh, seen guilty because you're coming to help Paul. And so perhaps if you went to help Paul, you would get your property plundered. They were willing to do it. Why were they willing to do it? Because they had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, it says, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Right? 
So look back to our notes. One thing that we need to be, uh, be uh, confident in is the people who have gone before us. All of the witnesses of our faith here in Romans chapter 11. All right, go down to verse 10. Uh, it says, for he was looking forward to the city that had, a, had foundations, whose designer and builder was God. See, we are, we are aliens. We're just passing through this world. This is not our world. We're looking to a better world. We're looking to a future world. We're look looking for one whose foundation uh, is, uh, is, is God. And so verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 11 says that they were strangers and exiles, right? Verse, uh, verse uh, 16, but as it is, they desired a better country, a heavenly one. Uh, verse 24, again, we're talking about Moses. Uh, Moses could either remain an Egyptian his citizen and have all the luxury and all the possessions that, that Egypt had, but instead he decided to go back and suffer with his people. So it says in verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He was looking to the re reward. Uh, verse 40 of chapter 11. It says, uh, since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So not only we look to the cloud of witnesses that before us, but then it says, look to Jesus in chapter 12. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which cling, uh, cling so closely. And let us run the endurance, the race that is set before us. Listen, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. How did Jesus endure the cross? He was looking at the joy that was set before him on the other side of the cross where he would be raised and is now sitting at the right hand of, right hand of God. Uh, despising the chain uh, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, consider him who endured through, from sin and hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle, verse 4, chapter 12, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Listen, all of these people of faith in the path, many of them, many of them, uh, had to shed blood uh, for their uh, 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 willingness to walk in their sanctification, walk in the glorification of Christ, to serve him wholeheartedly, they shed blood. Jesus himself shed blood, suffered for our sins. And what he is saying, listen, don't lose confidence yet. You haven't even had to shed blood yet, right? And how quickly are we to set aside the gospel? How quickly are we to shut our mouths uh, when difficulty comes our way? Paul suggests that we should never, ever, ever uh, do that. We should be considering those in the past. Now, the last three there, Jesus, Paul, and Job, I think that these capture the idea. This capture the idea of completing your faith. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He's standing there before Pilate. He's, Pilate is beginning to rehearse to, to uh, Jesus. Do you not know that I have the power? I can take your life or I can set you free. And Jesus said in John 19, chapter 11, listen, you have no power than what my father gives you. Listen, whether it's an enemy in the street or whether it's the coronavirus, we can look at it dead in its face and we can say, listen, you have no power over me except what God gives you. God is sovereign over the universe. He is the one in control. 
Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 uh, to 25. Imagine him standing in front of his captors. He's standing there in front of his, his enemies. And he says, listen, if you kill me, I go to be with the Lord. If you don't kill me, I'm going to stay here and serve the Lord. If you kill me, that's better for me. If you don't kill me, that's better for you. So now you have a decision. Either kill me or get out of the way. Right? That's the faith that he had. He was going to serve Christ to the end no matter what happened. No matter what would, what would take place. We know Job's situation. Job, uh, God uh, took the initiative to, to uh, Satan and said, have you considered my servant Job? Listen, took his family, took his wealth, took his health. He was sitting there on a garbage pile, scraping uh, his, his, his skin. And he uttered these words. Though you slay me, though you slay me, I will worship you. And I have a song that I want you to listen to that I really believe captures this idea. Remember, think of those who have become before us. Think about Jesus and think about our eternal reward in the future. Take a, take a moment to just sit quietly, listen to the words of this song, and afterwards I'll pray in closing.
all your affliction momentary not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there but all of it is totally meaningful every millisecond of your pain from the fallen nature or fallen man every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that. I don't care if it was cancer or criticism. I don't care if it was slander or sickness. It wasn't meaningless. It's doing something. It's not meaningless. Of course you can't see what it's doing. Don't look to what is seen. When your mom dies, when your kid dies, when you got cancer at 40, when a car careens into the sidewalk and takes her out, don't say, it's meaningless. It's not. It's working for you an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, therefore, do not lose heart, but take these truths and day by day, Focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach his word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and cared for. Amen. Amen. Do not lose heart. Consider it all joy when you're going through various trials, knowing that God is perfecting your faith. God is working for you a, an eternal weight of glory during this time. Listen, do not allow it to slip away. Let's come back 
when all of this is over with a faith that is far more superior than when this thing began. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. We pray and ask, Lord, that you would allow us to rehearse these things over and over and again, that your word would have the right effect upon our life, that you would perfect our faith so that we can stand with Jesus and say nothing has the power except what God gives. We can stand with Paul and say, if I die, it's better for me to go to be with the Lord. If not, I'm going to stay here and serve the Lord or even be with Job who said, though you slay me, though I get the coronavirus, Lord, I will worship you whether in life or in death. May your faith be strengthened as we go through this trial. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.